This morning's scripture, um, as you can see on the screen, is Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon and came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the, the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Good morning. Take my Bible back. I guess the person that was going to read wasn't able to make it in today, so I just uh, asked my wife to put her on the spot. <laughs> kind of was wishing it was one of those Bible verses that had a ton of really weird names <laughs> so that she'd be like stuck up here trying to... Anyway, I'm just kidding. I don't actually wish that on them. Anyway. Uh, before I kind of uh, get into talking about this uh, parable that Monica read for us. I do want to acknowledge, you know, the place that we as Canadians and Torontonians uh, are in right now with the Freedom Convoy uh, that I think probably most of us are aware of. And uh, I just want to acknowledge, one, uh, I do believe in a right for peaceful protest. And there is a great place for our leaders to hear different voices of the people they represent. But I also want to say it's important for us as a, as a community and as a country to not descend into some sort of mob rule, right? So there is a, a place of hearing the voices of the people, but also uh, our leadership needing to do what is right and best for everyone. And uh, as Christians, I think it is important to remember that we always need to balance what we want for ourselves, our right to vocalize our frustrations and our weariness. And I think all of us I know myself, I mean, I am tired. 
I'm exhausted. I'm depressed. Like this, it's, it is, it's crazy. And our whole country, our whole world is in this place. There is great place, there is importance to vocalize these, this weariness. But we also need to balance this with the freedom of the gospel. And the freedom of the gospel is to put others first and to love our neighbors. And so we must never be willing to justify violence or oppression. We must never be willing to give place to raising voices of hate, flags of systemic racism like the Confederate flag and the swastikas. Uh, there is no place for that, and we can never be okay or justify that. But I would like to say, in this issue, there is, I would say, there isn't a right or a wrong. It isn't black and white. Um, and so wherever you stand on this, I think in Christ you can stand on the different parts of this. But it is key that we all uh, continue to live in Christ's command to love your neighbor in it. Uh, which includes having grace on those who uh, see things differently than you do. And so, um, anyway, I just wanted to kind of say that because uh, I, I feel like it's an important place that we're in. Although I don't think it really has anything to do with this parable. So I'm going to move on from that. Now I'm going to bring up something that, um, well, and this is a joke. So don't get nervous. But I'm going to bring up something that may cause many of us to relive old trauma, childhood traumas. So you picture a group of kids standing, facing, or standing in a row on a soccer ball, on a soccer ball, on a soccer or a football field or a baseball field or a basketball court or a cricket pitch or whatever sport with another describing word for the space that you're standing on. I don't know. What's rugby? Field? Yeah, rugby field. So these kids are getting ready to play a game or a match, uh, and they need to divide into two teams. Does anyone know where this is going? So the two best players, of course, are the captains, and so they stand triumphantly facing this line of children, and they start calling out names one by one. I want Tommy. I want Jake, Angela, Glenn. One by one, starting with the best players, and it's usually also the best friends, kids are called over until slowly but surely the least desired children are standing by themselves, isolated from the rest of the group. Ah, uh, okay, Liz, uh, David, and last, I guess, I guess that means I'm stuck with you, Greg. <laughs> anyway, so maybe it's just my trauma, childhood trauma, not yours, I mean, it's heartbreaking, right? Does this bring up traumatic memories for you? Uh, and I w if it didn't bring up traumatic memories for you, that's either because your brain erased those memories to protect you from the pain, and it may come up in counseling uh, in the future, or because you were always picked first. If that time wasn't traumatic for you, it's because you were in the first chosen. And as a side note, if you were always one of the first ones picked, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with having physical uh, sport prowess. <laughs> it's not a moral issue. <laughs> but if you're one of the first ones picked, but your memory of choosing teams as kids, there isn't traumatic for you. Uh, chances are you may not even be aware of how painful and humiliating this whole process was for others. And if that's the case, I think there is something to reflect on. 
The perpetual insiders not having any real awareness of how humiliating and dehumanizing this kind of who's in and who's out is for the perpetual outsider. And this isn't just true of kids' sports, of course, but all areas of adult life, too. And hopefully you know uh, February is Black History Month, and even with just the shallowest of reflection on social and cultural realities for the black community in white power-based countries, and Canada, let's come on, let's admit it, we're still a white power-based country, who's in and who's out is played out not just in physical prowess and sports, but it's in systemic and cultural discriminatory norms and attitudes. But now I'm getting ahead of myself, a little mini short sermon uh, there. There, you got two short sermons off the the top, and we haven't even started talking about the parable yet. No, I'm just kidding. It does tie in. You just have to be, anyone who knows me knows you just have to be patient. You wait for it. Eventually, it should tie in, and if it doesn't, then you can, I don't know, throw spitballs at me or something. You can text me, or I'll put my phone on silent right now. It used to be that we would get notes under the door by an anonymous person. <laughs> Fortunately, that stopped, and you can't anonymously text me, so that's, that's good. So we've been looking at these parables of Jesus. They are short stories that Jesus tells, which are meant to challenge the listener. They are meant to reframe the way that we think about God's kingdom and what God's kingdom looks like. Most of Jesus' listeners, and let's be honest, many of us today, we have kind of messed up views of what it looks like when God is in charge. What it looks like when God's heart and values are lived out in the world. And Jesus uses these parables, these short stories, to reframe or to realign our perspectives on how to live in God's kingdom. Provided, of course, we are willing to have ears to hear by opening ourselves up to the moving of the Holy Spirit through the words of Jesus. Uh, let's, uh, and speaking of which, let's uh, pause just for a moment of prayer. Jesus, uh, as we listen to your words today, we invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would um, help us to have ears to hear. Whether it be through anything, I guess, that I have to say, but more likely through your speaking in ways that I could have never given words to, Holy Spirit, we do We do want to hear uh, what Jesus has to say to us this morning in this parable. So let's uh, look at this parable together. Uh, Matthew 20, it's Matthew 20, verses uh, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from uh, the New International Version, and, and just as a preamble for those unfamiliar with English translations, there are many of different English translations. So if you are following in a Bible on uh, our Bible app, and the words are different, uh, you don't have to be alarmed. It's just that we have different translations from the original language, in this case, uh, Greek. So verse 1. And there's a lot packed into this verse 1, so I'm asking for lots of patience with you this morning. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now Jesus starts out like he does with many of his parables, especially in this, in Matthew's gospel. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now for those of you who are unfamiliar, the Bible has uh, Jesus' story, so kind of... uh, kind of like a biography of Jesus told by four different people. And we call these books the Gospels. And so all four of these Gospels 
speak about the kingdom of God. Uh, but Matthew is the only one who uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are lots of different theories on why Matthew uses this different phrase or puts this different phrase into the, the, on the lips of Jesus. At the end of the day, what matters is that when Matthew says the kingdom of heaven for us as we read it, he's using it in the same sense that other writers the kingdom of God, are saying the kingdom of God. And as I've said before, we shouldn't mistake this for something that is kind of like up in the clouds, angels flying around, ideas of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is about what it looks like when God is on the throne, when God is in charge. So this is what it looks like when God's reign in heaven is coming down on earth. So it is what, when God is in charge, yes, in heaven, but also here on earth. And so Jesus is using a story to give us a picture of what it looks like when God is in charge. And when God is in charge, it is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Okay, so a few quick things. First, the word in English for landowner here, and this is more interesting than really helpful, is more literally translated housemaster, and it's actually two words put together. It's like the man housemaster. We can't actually tell from it whether this guy owned the vineyard or if he was simply put in charge of looking after it. But that being said, this housemaster is the one who has to get up at sunrise, sunrise and he goes out looking for day laborers to work on his farm, on his vineyard. And what's more, his land is a vineyard. So for the Jews, the vineyard is a common metaphor for God's people, for the Israelites. So if you're kind of new to reading the Bible, or maybe this is just new to you, when you are reading through the Bible and it starts talking about a vineyard, you can usually ask yourself, I wonder if this is talking about God's people and not actually a place that grapes grow. And the answer is almost always yes. So that's just a little tip when you're reading through the Bible. If you see the word vineyard, think, oh, this is probably, person is probably making a metaphor talking about God's people. So first sentence in, Jesus has told his listeners the stories about what it looks like when God is in charge, that it is about his people, and that it is about uh, a person who owns or is responsible for this vineyard. And this is what it looks like when God is in charge. It is a man who is responsible for this vineyard getting up at the crack of dawn to go out and hire laborers for the day. Verse 2 starts with, he agreed to pay. And this is another fun one. Well, at least I think it's fun. But in our English word, the unity for, the unity, the word for he agreed is actually our English word for symphony. It is playing well together, making a beautiful sound. It means they are one mind. They are in harmony with one another. So it's actually important for the end of the story to, that here we see at the beginning of the story, the first people hired, so the ones who end up grumbling, they were in harmonious unity like a symphony about how much they would be paid. Right? So this isn't the landowner twisting or manipulating or anything. This is unity across the board on how much to be paid, and they agreed on a denarius, which was a Roman coin that was surprisingly worth a day's wage. So it's so, so far nothing extraordinary. They agreed to get paid an average daily wage. Then these laborers, upon harmoniously agreeing to their pay, they go out and they do a hard day's work. 
Another thing that is important to the story to understand is the economics in first century Palestine and economics in Jewish law. Now, these laborers would have been people who were very poor, though, of course, that's not saying a lot in the sense that most people uh, uh, at this time were very poor. But they did not have steady jobs or work that they could rely on. And so every single day they would get up before sunrise and they would go to the marketplace just hoping that someone would hire them for the day. And if they didn't get hired for a full day, then their family wouldn't eat. They weren't putting things in the bank. They weren't storing up stuff. They were literally hand to mouth every day. If they worked, they ate. If they didn't work, they didn't eat. This is what's called living at substance level. Living on or below the poverty line. They were living day by day just to have enough to survive. They weren't thinking about retirement plans. They were just thinking at the end of the day, can I bring something home for my family? And in fact, these day laborers were so in danger of starving, God actually includes the care for them in the Jewish law in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible that tells us the story about the Israelites uh, a long time before Jesus came along. And the laws that God gave to his people, they say in Leviticus 19 verse 13, says, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. So after they work the day, you got to pay them right away. They need that daily pay just so they can survive the next day. And in Deuteronomy, in chapter 24, verse 15, it says, Pay them, these day workers, their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and they are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. As a landowner or a business owner, if you didn't pay the poor a living wage, something they could survive on, you were actually guilty of sin. Let me say that again doesn't really work well with our, in our capitalistic understanding, does it? If you didn't pay the poor who worked a single day for you, at the end of the day, a living wage they could survive enough that they could live off, you are guilty of sin. And God would hear their cries and they would hold it against you. It seems pretty strong language. In the Old Testament, there was no place for the rich not to care for the poor. For to not to do so was actually sin, was offensive to God, and God would hold that against you and hear their cries. Here in this parable, Jesus, though, he actually takes it to a whole new level. To the people he hires for a full day, he agrees to pay them a full day's work, right? He is just doing what the law commanded uh, and what good, being a good human commands. But to those he hires later in the day, to those who do not do a full day's worth work. He says, I will pay you whatever is right. Whatever is right. Now, I normally don't get into this many words, but <laughs> the word what is right is just. It is what is upright. It is what is righteous. What righteousness is in scripture is not Kind of like kingdom of heaven, it is not some pious inward holiness. It is not some kind of ethereal, uh, spiritual kind of nebulous thing. Righteousness in the Bible is intrinsically a social word. Righteousness, to be right, means to live rightly in relationship to others. 
Righteousness in the Bible is to do right by others in the community. It isn't just some nebulous, me and God, we're okay with each other. It is to do right by others in our community. And the housemaster says to those who don't work a full day, I will pay you what is doing right by you. And of course, everyone assumes, the listeners assume, and the people in the story, they assume, you know, if you work half day, you get paid half day's pay. If you work for a quarter of the day, you get a quarter day's pay, right? Logical. But here in God's kingdom, when God is in charge, what is right, and we find out in the end of the story, is to pay people a living wage. It's to pay them enough that they can survive, even if they only work for an hour of the day. And if this isn't challenging enough, there's even more going on than simply working less hours. I would like to show you a demonstration. I'm going to invite the worship band uh, to come up for this. I'm not, they're not going to have to do any acting skills. They just have to stand still. Which I guess might be a skill for some of them. I don't know. And we got, for those of you room, we got to fig- we got to make sure that everyone online can see us too. So if you guys, if you all can. Oh, hey, oh, Mia's in charge. Okay, Jeremy, are you in there? There we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. Good times. Oh, and I've got my mask off, so I'm going to face forward. I'm going to pretend you're not there. This isn't one of those jokes where I invite them up and now I just ignore them the rest of the time. Although, I, I do like those. I always appreciate that joke, but I'm not going to do it. Now I've completely lost where I am. Okay. So here are a bunch, these are day laborers. Let's pretend these are day laborers who've come to the marketplace. They're here, it's like 5.45 in the morning, and they're hoping for a day's worth of work. And I'm a, a vi- owner of a vineyard, and I'm coming to hire good workers for my vineyard. So who do I pick first? And I'm not going to do a thing of hands, because that's, you know, like kids picking things. It's hurtful, right? So who do I pick first? Well, naturally, I'm going to pick the people who I think are going to do the best work at hard physical labor, sweating out in the sun through the entirety of a hot first century Palestinian day. So who am I going to pick? Well, I'm going to pick Michael first, let's be honest, right? He's strong, and he has, well, you don't, you don't know this, but he has a lot of experience working physical labor. So you can go, go to the vineyard. Thanks, Michael. Uh, next, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Mike, you know, nice, strong, male experience. He's a little older, but you know, still good. So you can go to work. And I'm going to pick Brandon because he's also a strong physical labor. You never know when you need some guitar. I guess if you're picking grapes, it's like picking guitar. I don't know. But so he goes off to work. Well, so... Now remember, before I go in more, this is a patriarchal society, right? So I'm not going to pick Abby, because so, she's a woman. She's weak, right? She's weak. She can't actually... No, stay. You got to stay. Because you want work. You don't want your family to go hungry. So you're stuck. You're going to stand in the marketplace till someone hires you or you go home at the end of the day. So you're stuck. And I wouldn't actually pick Jeremy, because, you know, he isn't Jewish, and I don't really want his kind. I just remember, I'm kind of racist, right? I mean, let's be honest. There are the Jews and, the gent- and everyone else. So I'm not going to pick Jeremy because he's not Jewish. He's an outsider. 
And I wouldn't pick Scott because he has a bum hip, right? He walks with a cane. So this guy's not going to do labor. So I, I, you know, I'm good with these three. So I go off, uh, go to work. These people are stuck here. And then later I'm going to be like, okay, you know, I need some more people. I'm going to come back. And who's left? How now who I pick? Well, even though he isn't Jewish, he's going to be better than a person with a cane and a woman. <laughs> so Jeremy, you can go to work. I'll, I'll put aside, you're an outsider dog, but I'll still take you because you can work better. Now I steal, and then I go, and then I come back a few hours later, and then, okay, fine, I'll pick a woman, but I'm not going to pick a gimp, right? <laughs> and I know that it's an offensive term, but you have to remember, this is how I'm thinking. This guy can't really do any work. I go, I come back. Oh, and you guys can sit down. You don't need to actually do work. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I go, I come back, and at the end of the day, at 5 o'clock, who's left? There's only a work. Now, Scott isn't representing Scott. Of course, he's representing a group of people. The only people still standing around the marketplace looking are unhirables, right? They are people who are undereducated, people who are underexperienced, people with low capacity, people with lots of limitations. They are seniors who have aged out. They are people with disabilities, whether it be mental or physical. There are people who could perhaps actually do physical labor, but because of my personal prejudices, I've actually written them off. These are the people who are left at the end of a day at 5 p.m. in a Palestinian marketplace looking for work who aren't getting hired. But I'm this landowner, so I'm actually going to hire Scott. He's not going to produce very much. Now, Scott, even with his hip, could produce a ton, so I'm using him as an example, but... He's not going to, this, this, this handicapped person isn't going to produce the same, but I'm still going to hire him. I'm going to give him work for, for a part of the day. Now, I hope some of the implications of this are kind of sitting in for you. The housemaster comes and offers the dignity of work to people who society would say is unhirable. And not only that, but this landowner is willing to pay them what is right. When God is in charge, those who are seen by others or those who see themselves as undesirable are desired. Those who are unhirable are hired. The, the undignified are given dignity. Those who feel worthless or are seen as worthless are shown their worth. In God's kingdom, a person's worth isn't measured by their performance or their productivity, their capacity, or how others view them, or even how they may view themselves. God's kingdom is like a vineyard where all have a place of equal worth, where unfathomable generosity is the norm, where the worth and value is fixed on our belovedness, not in strength or wisdom or influence or charisma. But this parable isn't just saying that God's love is gracious beyond human understanding, for it is. It is about that. And it challenges us to see others differently. But it isn't just about this. It is actually about labor economics in the real world. It is about how when God is in charge, everyone has what they need to survive. 
It is about how when God is in charge, those who are business owners and employers, that they will do what is righteous. They will do what is good. They will do what is beyond mere worth of the quantity or the quality of work, but what shows the worth of the individual. We are so comfortable with the values of capitalism that this seems irrational because it is a slap in the face of all the capitalism stands for. We live and breathe it and we don't see it, but capitalism is about getting what you deserve based on high intelligence and charisma and competitiveness. The best and the brightest beating everyone else out. And those who end up on the bottom are there because they, well, they're not the winners. They are the losers, the last picked out of a lineup of children. But God's kingdom does not align with these values, not even the least bit. In God's kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What is right, what is righteous and good are those who, for whatever reason, are not able to fight their way to the top, who are not able to work a full day's labor, but whose value is fixed in their worth as beloved by the Creator. What is righteous and good is when those capitalists, and when capitalism says they do not deserve to get paid, what is righteous and good is when they are hired for what they can do and they are paid enough to live off of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that Jesus is Marxist or whatever. Human, there is no human economic structure that actually lives out the values of God's kingdom. So I'm not saying let's replace one thing with something else that we know about. But we need to challenge the assumptions of what we see as norm. In the labor economics of God's kingdom, to live rightly and goodly as followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of and working towards ways of affirming and the value of all people, especially those on the margins who capitalism says are unhirable and undesirable. And as we do we will find that those we've written off are actually the ones who become first. They are the ones who will show us God's kingdom. They are the ones who will show us God's presence on earth. They are the people with whom we can experience beauty and truth and kingdom wisdom. In this parable, the one who worked the full day, which means, yes, the one from a work perspective, they did carry a bulk of the work. They're the ones whose sweat and full day's work produced the most. At least, you know, in a farming metaphor. But these ones who, got, who, got, who worked the full day, they carry the load and the burden of society. But in this parable, when those who did a lion's share of the work complain and grumble because they feel they deserve more than those who did less, the housemaster asked them this question. Are you envious because I'm generous? One last <laughs> word here for you. The word this translation says is envious is actually the same word that when Ben prayed the Lord's Prayer, it's the same word in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from envy, evil. Not deliver us from envy, not deliver us from looking at someone going, oh, kind of wish I had that. Deliver us from evil. 
It is the word for evil. Of course, I think, to be honest, I think our English translations, one, translating is hard work, but two, when you read this parable, it's so much easier to put the word envious in there, isn't it? To say this per- these people are just being envious, not to say that they're acting evilly. Those who do the lion's share of the work, when they complain and grumble, they are doing what is evil. We grumble and be- because we feel we deserve more. I mean, we've worked harder. We're the ones who carry the load. We're the ones who keep the economy running. And so it is unjust that others who did less would get the same as us. And when we have this attitude and we are upset by generosity given to others, we feel like we should actually deserve more. When we measure worth from this capitalistic frame of mind, when this is our understanding of justice, we aren't simply being envious and jealous. We are being the opposite of good and just. We are being evil in the eyes of God's kingdom. We are wishing ill will on others because of generosity to them. God's generosity and the generosity of others because of what is in our hearts is leading us into evil and we become the opposition to God's kingdom. Usually this is because we've forgotten God's undeserved generosity to us. We too have received God's unimaginable generosity and God has placed us, placed in us our worth. God has called us his own beloved child and has held back no gift of love from us. And he's asking us to stand loving our neighbor in his kingdom and offering that same gift, not just in a pious, nice words and speaking nicely way, but in a way that impacts the very realities of our labor economics. So let us stand in this knowledge. Let us be transformed by it so that we can celebrate and participate in God's kingdom generosity to others. Working alongside God towards a time when all people have what they need. When there is no poverty or hunger or discrimination. Let us affirm the value and worth of others that our culture deems undesirable and unhirable. Let us work by the spirit of God in our lives to resist the temptation towards the evil of discriminatory ableism, classism, ageism, and racism. These things are evil and they are against the kingdom of God. So let us live goodly and rightly. Let us allow the words of the Lord's prayer to saturate our hearts and our lives that we may live out the labor economics of God's kingdom in our world. Now, Ben and I didn't talk about this, so he already prayed the Lord's prayer. Um, But we're going to pray it again. (laughs) You know, it's it's hardly something that's going to hurt us, right? So we're going to pray it again. The the words are uh, on the screen for those who don't know it. And... uh, and because there are, well, translations, right? There are so many different versions of it. So we can pray this uh, together. So let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.